Well, good morning. It is great to gather with you all this morning. If you are a first-timer, as J.D. said, we just want to welcome you. Or if it's been a while, we want to welcome you back. And we just pray that during this time, you are drawn closer to God in this moment. And so if you'll join me, we'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word this morning. So Father God, we just come before you and we just want to thank you just for this season as we just remember what you did. And as we look in our message this morning and we will see just that you came from heaven to earth to dwell among us so that we could find salvation through you being the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so God, I just pray that in this time as um, it's a time of busyness and it's a time of just looking forward to maybe opening presents, gathering with family, what, whatever is going on after this service, God, I pray that we put that to the side right now and that we focus on you and we just hear what you have to say. And so God, I pray, may this be your word that is proclaimed and may it speak to our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this, amen. So real quick question, how many of you loved high school? Like if you could, you'd be like, I would go back there in a heartbeat right now. Let's go back to high school. Only a couple of you really enjoyed high school. Um, it, was, it was enjoyable for me, but I can tell you one thing I would not do, go back. I mean, think about high school. Like you are locked up in this building for eight hours a day. You can't leave. I mean, actually, some kids can actually leave now. I never could leave. Uh, my mom was the secretary, so I really couldn't get away with anything. Um, but, you know, you're, you're locked in there. You have to do this work. You're constantly being graded on how well you can do this work. Your friends are just, like, full of drama all the time. And you're constantly being told what to do. And you're not even paid for it. Instead... Sometimes, like if you go on to higher education, you have to pay to do those things. Like it's kind of this crazy little world, but you get through that. And for the most part, nobody really wants to go back to that. We do have a couple odd ducklings in the mix, but most people are like, nah, I'm done with that drama. I'm happy where I'm at now. Now imagine, maybe some of you can relate to this, but imagine if you were making six figures and you were to go back to we'll say the prime time of it all, junior high, where things really start to get mushy and drama really starts to hit. Would you leave that high paying job to go back and be in junior high again? No, probably not. It's like I'm making bank right now. I don't wanna go back and not make money and be told what to do just because these people want to assign extra work and all that jazz. Like, no, I'm not doing that. When we come to this time of year, what that illustration is doesn't even really, it's like a really poor attempt to compare what Christ did for us. Because Christ didn't have a six-figure job. Christ owned the entire world. He's the creator of it all. And he said, I'm going to go back down and I'm going to dwell among my creation. John opens up his gospel by telling us this. He says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we find out that the word is Jesus, that he's talking about Jesus. In the very beginning of everything, Jesus existed. 
And then you get down to like verse, I think it's 10 through 12 or something. And it says that the word came to his own creation, but they rejected him. They didn't know him. And then you get to verse 14 where it says the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. That would be like if you've ever seen Undercover Boss, like the CEO who's making bukus of dollars and he's like, I'm going to go down and I'm going to work among my little minimum wage workers. And they do that for a, like a couple of days and then they leave. Imagine taking on everything about that job, the heartache, the pain, the sickness, the, the agony, the drama of it all. That's what Jesus did. He left the throne room of heaven and he came down to dwell among us. And that is what we see in this season. That's what we celebrate today. But also what we see in this season is an example of obedience. An example that is set for us of how we are to follow in Christ's example. And so what we're going to do is, if you're new here or you've taken a break for a little bit, uh, we would love to have you join us again. But we've been going through the Old Testament. And so for like the last four months, I think we started around August, we have just been taking each book of the Bible and we have been looking at it one session at a time of what is the overarching theme of this, this book so that we understand what these Old Testament books are talking about. But more importantly, we are trying to see how does this book talk about Jesus? Because when Jesus resurrects from the dead, as he's walking along the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, he starts talking about himself. And it says he started with the law and the prophets. He started in the Old Testament to say all of these things point to me. All of these things point to what we are celebrating here and now, the Messiah coming to dwell among his people to deliver us from our sins. That's the first words of John the Baptist that we see recorded. One of the first words, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Messiah has come in the flesh to dwell among us. And so we are almost done with our study through the Old Testament. We are on the second to the last book chronologically in Nehemiah. And so the way that we do this is we just break down what that book talks about so we have a better understanding. And so for those of you that are like, I really don't care about that stuff, hang with us because we will get to the application of it. But first off, we got to understand Nehemiah because all of these books, again, are building up to this day, the coming of Jesus. And so what we have in Nehemiah is we studied Ezra a couple weeks ago, and Nehemiah takes place 13 years after Ezra. It really was one book at a time. It was uh, first, they called it first Ezra's, and second Ezra's, they combined it, and now we have it called Nehemiah just as a break. And what is happening is uh, King Cyrus sent the Jews back to rebuild the temple, and now we are all the way, 13 years later, from the end of Ezra, this guy named King Artaxerxes, who is Esther's stepson. And he is sending Nehemiah back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because they've been broken down. Nehemiah gets this report that uh, Jerusalem is defenseless at this time. And so he's like, I want to go back. I want to encourage the people to rebuild the walls. So Artaxerxes says, you can go back. And so he sends Nehemiah, Nehemiah back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. So he is like in the king's palace. He is living in luxury, and he's got one job, drink wine. Specifically, the wine that was going to go to Artaxerxes. Because as king, you got a lot of enemies. Somebody might try and poison the wine. And so Nehemiah, on the daily, is putting his life on the line, tasting the wine to make sure that it is not poisoned and that King Artaxerxes doesn't die. So it's kind of a luscious job, but at the same time, every single day, you're facing death. You don't know if that's going to be your last drink or not. But that is who Nehemiah is. And so he hears about Jerusalem and he says, Artaxerxes, Will you send me back so that I can rebuild the walls around Jerusalem? And he is allowed to do that. Fun fact, we actually know Nehemiah is the shortest prophet. Get it? Nehemiah. Terrible joke. Had to throw it in there. Um, you'll maybe never forget that one, and I'm sorry about that. Okay, so the breakdown of every time I say Nehemiah, I want to say Nehemiah now. And... I'm sorry. Uh, but the breakdown of Nehemiah, for seven chapters broken down are pretty much to that reconstruction of the, temp uh, of the walls. That's, that's what they're doing. They are rebuilding the wall. He receives the permission to go back. He leads the third and final return of Jews back to Jerusalem, and he is rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Fun fact. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has this vision of 70 weeks. And he says the beginning of those 70 weeks will start at the decree of the going out of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. Those 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9 starts right here at this decree. And there's some fun, interesting facts that are in your handout there. I won't go through those, but it is like to the date of that. 483 years later, Jesus has his triumphal entry, where they are saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. 483 years to date, the word of God proves true over and over again. But so Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, and he encourages the Jews to rebuild the wall. They have some opposition. There's people that are not wanting them to do it. And so Nehemiah, he just stands firm, and he says, we are going to rebuild the wall. Each one of you, you have a portion in front of you. Work on what's in front of you. Don't worry about what's going on over here, what's going on over here. You build the wall in front of your house, and they get it built in 52 days, a very quick time because they didn't have excavators and all that stuff. They were doing it by hand with hand tools. And in 52 days, they get the wall of Jerusalem rebuilt. And then the second half of Nehemiah is one about spiritual revival or a restoring the restoration of the people. Because here they had been obedient, but their hearts were still not obedient. And so Ezra, the priest, leads a revival and their hearts get turned back to God. And so Nehemiah, he ends up going back to Persia, but then he hears that the people are falling back into their old way of life, and so he comes back, and he really starts with this cleansing. He cleanses the temple. He reinstates the Sabbath worship for them that they need to take it off, and then he also goes through, and they had intermarried with foreign wives, and he says that's against what God says. We need to be pure to God, and so he actually like beats people up because they refuse to do it. He comes in and just is like, hey, y'all need to listen to God, and they didn't, so he's like, all right, I'm gonna lay the smack down on you. Fun stuff there. 
But anyways, that's what we see in Nehemiah is this obedience to God. And that's what we see in Nehemiah and Christ. This is kind of where, again, Christ falls in line with the passage of Nehemiah because what you see is they both were entrusted with this ministry of restoration. Nehemiah came and restored Jerusalem, the walls. He came and restored the hearts of the people, and Christ came to restore people to God. We call it reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that, that we now have been entrusted by Christ to be ambassadors for him, that we have the message of reconciliation, that God wants to restore his people, reconcile his people back to him. So both have a ministry of restoration. Both have a ministry, or both gave up a high position. So Nehemiah was in the palace And he left that to go dwell among the people in Jerusalem so that he could identify with the people. Jesus was in the throne room of God, and he gave that up to come and dwell among us so that he could identify with us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says that who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he came down, as John 1, 14 says, he dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He left his high position and came down to be with us. Both of them in their coming had a specific mission to rebuild Jerusalem and to restore God's people. And both of them fulfilled it. Both of their lives could be marked by obedience by obedience, and not just obedience, but obedience of regardless of what comes my way, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be faithful. Nehemiah, as he was rebuilding the wall, we mentioned that opposition came, and they really kind of tried to distract Nehemiah at first. They were trying to draw him away, and he had this line that I love what he says. He says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, they sent messengers to him like, hey, you should come meet us and we can talk about this. And he responds with, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I, why should the work stop while I leave it and I come down to you? And then later on, they were like, hey, you need to come and meet us in the temple because there's people that are going to try and kill you if you don't take shelter in the temple. And he's like, whatever, I'm not leaving. He did not care what was coming his way. He saw the mission at hand, even if it was going to cost him his life, and he held true to it. He was faithful to what was entrusted to him, regardless of the cost. Can you see the comparison there with Christ now? That Christ had a mission for why he came. It was to dwell among us. It was to live the perfect life. He was the Lamb of God without stain. He was perfect without blemish. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He lived that perfect life, and then he came to give that perfect life. 
He knew what it was gonna cost him. He knew the cross was the end result. He knew the pain and the agony. He knew leaving heaven and coming to earth, he was gonna take on not just our pain, not just our sickness, not just growing up and dealing with everything and the drama, the betrayal of people. He knew he was gonna take the crown of thorns, the whippings on his back. He knew he was gonna take the nails being driven through his hand. And he knew, worst of all, he was gonna take the wrath of God. He was gonna drink from the cup of God's wrath that was supposed to fall on us and he took it all for us. He did not waver. We are told that on the night that he was betrayed, he was standing before the people and Peter pulls out his sword and he like cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and he says, put your sword away. Do you not think that I could not call down legions of angels and they would deliver me? He had every opportunity to detour away from it, but he stood true. He walked a life of obedience. He held true to who he was and what God called him to be. He took it all upon himself so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be restored. Every opportunity he had to step away from that. Like Christmas leads up to the rest of his life and ultimately his death. And he stayed true. He stayed obedient. He lived that perfect life. Like while Jesus was on trial, while he was being tried, they were standing before him and he was even saying, I could be taken off the cross. I could free myself. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Again, there is this obedience without wavering, regardless of what comes his way. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus coming to dwell among us in obedience, setting the example of obedience for us. That he, even at the very beginning of it all, this was the plan. When, when man sinned in Genesis chapter 3, they ate of the fruit. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, we are told the eyes of Adam and Eve were open and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed for themselves fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That right away, there at the very beginning, man was trying to cover over his own sin. Man was trying to cover up his own mistakes, but it was never going to be able to work out that way. And so in verse 20, it says, uh, nope, not 20, verse 21, it says that the Lord God made for them clothing. We can't cover up our own sin. We needed somebody to cover our sin for us. And that's what only Jesus could do. But it couldn't just happen by him being like, nope, your sins are forgiven. Because he already said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And God cannot change his word. His word is true and lasting forever. So the only way to fulfill it was for perfect blood to be shed. And he came and gave that perfect blood for us. Through the obedience of Jesus, coming in the form of man, living a perfect life, he offered himself for us. He lived that perfect life, offered himself for us, and he took on our unrighteousness and gave us his righteousness. 
He took on our flesh so that we can have eternal bodies. He took on our unrighteousness so that we can have an eternal righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He never knew sin. He never sinned, but he took on sinful flesh so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.19 tells us that through Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners, but through one man's obedience, that being Christ, his obedience to come onto earth, take on human flesh, and then give his life for us, the many will be made righteous. You see, Nehemiah came with a mission to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Christ came with a mission to restore his people to God, and that's what he did. He didn't waver in it. He was perfectly obedient. He had every opportunity to, but he stood firm. So what we see in Nehemiah, we see in Christ. But it is also what we are called to see in ourselves. We are called to be obedient to Christ. We are called to see what God's word says and follow it. So many people want to be like, I want to, I want to believe in God, I want to l trust God, but I don't really want to obey God. And his word actually tells us the opposite. His word tells us that as Christ was obedient, we too are to be obedient. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 2. He gives us Christ's example. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each one of you, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. And then he says, it's yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right there at the beginning, he said, this is your example. This is the attitude that you are to take, an attitude of obedience. That as Christ was obedient, no matter what came his way, regardless of what it cost him, we're called to be the same. When we claim to bear the name of Christ, in John chapter 1, it actually says to all of those who believe in him, they were able to be called children of God. But then it goes on to say that those who disobeyed were not children of God. That is not just this belief, it's a belief that leads to obedience. That with belief comes obeying God. That if I say God is who he says he is, if I truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, then I'm going to live my life based on that, in obedience to him. It doesn't work to claim God but not live for him. The Bible never says that. Instead, it says salvation is found through faith in Christ alone. But then it says when you have that faith, that true life-changing faith, you live in obedience to him. I mean, think about it this way. Think if Jesus standing up there was like, God, I know that somebody's got to die for them. And I, I believe you that blood has to be shed, perfect blood, but I'm not going to do it. It's like, wait a minute, is there really a belief there? 
It's like, God, I know that what your word says is true. I believe that you are creator of everything. I believe that you, you are the ruler and you are the one that made it all and you know how it works out best. I, I believe you in that, but I'm, I'm actually not gonna live according to that. I'm not gonna obey what you have to say. Do you really believe that then? Or are you giving God lip service? What God wants is your heart. He wants you to live for him. He is calling for you not to give him lip service. He is calling for you to live for him in obedience, not to earn what he's already given you. That'd be a wage. He's already given you salvation, and so now you live out of that in obedience to him. What we see in Christmas isn't the presence under the tree. It's not the family gatherings. It is the obedience of Jesus who came down and lived that perfect life for us so that he could give the perfect sacrifice so that we could find salvation in him. But he set an example for us. It would be a dishonor to him to hear what God's word says and then to go from here and be like, well, I believe that I'm just not gonna live according to it. That's not what God says. He's calling you to repentance. What repentance is, is saying, I was living my way and man, it leads to disaster. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna turn around. I'm gonna realign my thinking with God's way and I'm gonna live out of that. Your thought leads your life. Your thought process leads the way that you live. And so when you align your thinking around God, then your life starts to live according to him. But you gotta give it over to him first. And so the question that I'm gonna close with here, and then they're gonna come up and we're gonna lead in a song, and it's just a song that I want you to reflect on this question. There are two parts to it. First one is, who do you really say God is? You gotta answer that question. Like in your heart of hearts, who is God to you? Why are you here today? Like, well, well, I, I came because it's Christmas and that's what we do. That's not gonna get you into heaven. That is not the path to salvation. Jesus is the path to salvation. Believing in him, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he is Lord. What that word Lord means is not a good guy, a good teacher, a prophet, somebody who said some nice things. It is that he is the only way to restoration, to reconciliation, to being made right with God. He's the only way to heaven. So who is it that you say Jesus is? If it's anything other than the Messiah, the only one to God, it's a wrong answer. He is, I mean, there's a lot of other answers that boil down to he is Lord, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 says that. There's no other way to God except through him. So you have to answer, who is Jesus? And then if you answer that correctly, according to what God's word says, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the Messiah, he is the one that makes me right with God, he is the one that gave the perfect sacrifice so that I don't have to work to earn God's favor. If that's your answer, then my follow-up question would be, are you living your life for him? Is the life that you are living reflective of the profession that you just made in your mind? 
Are you living in obedience to God regardless of what it might cost you? Meaning that your flesh says one thing, God's word says another, and you're like, eh, even though it cost me my job, even though it cost me friendships, even though it cost me comforts, even though it cost me my life, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be obedient to him. Or instead, are you making compromises? God, I know your word says this, but actually, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do what I want to do. Well, then something's messed up between your profession and your actual belief. And so we need God to come into our hearts and give us a new heart. And so as we sing this song, I want you to wrestle with those questions. Who do you say Jesus is? And are you living for him with your whole heart? Are you being obedient to him in everything? Not to earn his favor, but because that's who he is and what he calls for us to do. So I'm going to have Kurt and Laura and Rachel come back up. They're going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to pray, and we'll sing that, and then, man, Merry Christmas. But I want you to wrestle with that. Because the worst thing we can do is go from here and just continue to live life for ourselves. When Jesus is showing us so much more, that his way is best, his way is perfect. Jesus was asking his disciples that question one time. A lot of them left him, and he said, do you guys want to leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have seen that you are the chosen one of God. And then they continued to grow in their walk with him. And so take this time to think about that, to think, man, am I, God, pray that prayer. God, have I really given you everything? Show me what part of my life I'm not in obedience to you in. And then if you need to come forward, I'm happy to talk to you. I'll be up front. We'll have a couple other gentlemen that are more than happy to talk to you. But spend this time talking to God as we sing this song. Father God, I pray that you work in our hearts through this song and that we truly do just answer those questions truthfully. And God, that you give us the transforming heart that only you can give us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.